You're listening to the Play, Teach, Talk podcast. I'm Tiffany Thompson, a speech pathologist with over 20 years of expertise in working with children under three years of age and their families to help them understand language and communicate more effectively. My specialty is in working with emerging communicators with few or no true words to reduce their frustration, help them interact and play with their peers and family, and learn to truly enjoy the back and forth of functional communication throughout their daily routines. This podcast is not intended to diagnose speech-language disorders, but is more of a general set of suggestions for children who are experiencing delays in their language skills. For recommendations or therapy specific to your child's needs, consultation or evaluation with a licensed speech-language pathologist in your city is highly suggested. This is episode 30 of the Play, Teach, Talk podcast. Community Resources for Children Under Three. I wanted to wrap up this first season of the Play Teach Talk podcast with another set of lists. Um, I've put up several links to the early intervention programs throughout the country and major websites um, and a developmental chart so that you could look to see where your child is um, in the range of typical development of language skills. But I also wanted to mention several of the other resources out there that are available for kids under three with different issues. So some of these are for kids who have medical issues that might need a little more support. Some of them are for kiddos who uh, are from lower income families or are at risk for developmental delays. And then some of them are national programs that exist, uh, some programs for supporting the families and giving more information. But all of them are great resources. I am going to be posting the links to the ones in my state, but uh, I'm more than likely there's going to be resources in your state as well. So I'm going to briefly go over these. I think part of the reason I want to get this to you too is because I worked in early intervention. I've worked in early intervention for most of the 23 years, 24 years now, oh my goodness, that I've uh, practiced. But one of the things I learned working in different private practices, uh, government jobs, is that there seemed to be a disconnect and not a whole lot of communication between the different resources. So there might be one person who's in working with a family, but there's an, another resource out there that could also be helping a family. So I want to make sure I get most of them in this list. And if you listen to this podcast and you know of more, please let me know because I will add those websites to the show notes too so that people can get to those links. I wanted to mention Early Head Start and Head Start. That one is more of an income-based uh, program. A lot of times they're under the Medicaid umbrella. And I, I have been surprised. Sometimes we have been able to get kiddos who have lots of medical needs or from larger families um, on Medicaid. They will qualify for Medicaid if they're kids at daycare. It, it, it's not just necessarily just income, but there are a lot of factors that can be part of how you are made uh, eligible for Medicaid. So if you haven't gone that route and seen if you can be uh, eligible for Medicaid services, I'd try that first because a lot of these programs are available if you have Medicaid. Uh, I believe Early Head Start and Head Start are linked up to Medicaid or um, they might have a sliding fee scale for how much you would need to pay for the, but they are daycare programs. Head Start is a daycare program. Early Head Start, I believe, does have a daycare component, but I have also known, at least in my state of North Carolina, that there are some Early Head Start 
providers who actually do go to the homes too. So in your state, there might be an early Head Start provider that can go into the home. There's also a, a program called CAPC, and that's the Community Alternatives Program for Children. This one's also through Medicaid, and it's a home-based and community service program that's for kids who have who are medically fragile or at risk for medical issues. And there's a whole list of the services that they provide. And this is a lot of times for kiddos who maybe are tube fed or on, on supplemental oxygen or kiddos who maybe have cerebral palsy and may need a nurse. Uh, CAPSI can sometimes cover things like that. So that's another race resource that's available for kids under three and would want to make sure that you know that that exists as well. Then in our state, it, there's a program called the Family Support Network. I don't know if it has a different name in other states, but the Family Support Network has a whole huge list of resources. And then one of the major things it did when I was working in an office with a person who was part of the Family Support Network is that they actually hook up parents who have kids who have uh, genetic syndromes, sometimes very rare genetic syndromes, and can help them find more people in the community who also have children with the same syndromes. Uh, I think that has been uh, possible for lots of the genetic syndromes. There are definitely some very rare ones in which it's hard to find a match, but it's nice to have a person that you can actually talk to who lives in your community when you're kind of trying to navigate some of the newer genetic syndromes that have been identified, because in a lot of cases, we all don't know what the outcomes are going to be. So it can be very helpful to have a friend that, that knows what you're going through. There's also a national program called Zero to Three. You can look this one up online. It's a national program, and I don't think there are any like specific state-based things that are going on with Zero to Three, but they have tons and tons of information. There's all kinds of handouts. There are videos you can watch. Um, so those are that's a great, great resource uh, if you just want more information about child development. And if you're listening to this podcast and you have any concerns about whether your child might be on the autism spectrum, I think it's autism. It's called the Autism Society or autism.org. There's so much great information uh, through them, too. I would go through... A, a, an actual official website, though, and get more information rather than take anecdotal information because each child who has diagnoses of autism is completely different. Uh, and I think it's a good idea to be looking at information that's coming from national societies, national organizations that have really sat down and made a consensus of, of how, how to communicate about having autism spectrum disorder um, and also kind of checking out teenagers blogs. There's some great teenagers who, who have autism that will tell you exactly what it's like to experience being on the spectrum. And I think their input has been really valuable in learning more about it. So it's not a comprehensive list. This is just a few ideas of places that you can go. I'm going to put all of these links into the show notes. And like I said, if you want to email me at playteachtalk. Uh, oh, playteachtalk at gmail.com. Sorry about that. Um, please give me more resources. I'll put them in the show notes. This is the final episode of season one. Uh, I decided I was going to cap it at 30 episodes and then come back after a short break. 
So uh, I will be back on May the 4th, but this has been so much fun. I love having this creative outlet. I love being able to get this information out to you all. I hope it's helpful. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again on May 4th. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would help me greatly if you subscribe or leave a five-star review. For additional content, including YouTube videos, articles, handouts, and help catered specifically to your child's needs, please visit playteachtalk.com.